0: Good evening. I'm Nate Bradford. I'm the associate chaplain for Residence Life here. I have the honor, thank you, whoever said that. I have the honor of uh, doing the announcements right now and I'd like to start by inviting Kelsey Stark up here to talk about the Access Countywide Food Drive. Are you here Kelsey?
1: Hi guys. So it's not just me. I brought my friends with me. I'm Kelsey from the Service Learning Center, and these are a few of your community partnership coordinators in the dorms. Right. So this is right. Cammy, yeah. Emily, yeah. and Michael, yeah. and they're your CPCs. So basically what they do is they help connect dorm residents and students on campus to the Grand Rapids community. So what we've been working on is the Access Countywide Food Drive, and that's this week, Sunday to Saturday. And the county-wide food drive is the one time during the year that all of Kent County, that's the county that we're in, Calvin College, that's (laughs) when all of their food pantries are filled. The one time a year that we try, all the churches try our hardest to fill all those food pantries. And so Calvin participates in that. Um, And we want to participate because one in five people in Kent County are food insecure, which basically means that they don't get enough nourishment. So you guys can help us um, make that happen on campus by finding the shopping carts in your dorm lobbies, or asking these guys where they're located (laughs) in the dorms, and other places on campus. So in the chapel we have one here, in the KE apartments we have one, Spoolhof. So find a shopping cart and donate any non-perishable food items that you can think of. And it's also a competition in the dorms. And so every food item is worth one point, and the dorm that wins at the end of the week, Saturday, will win a game night with Pastor Mary and President Leroy. Which is pretty exciting. The last thing I wanted to share with you is I had a woman from one of the food pantries come into the Service Learning Center last week, and she said that the things that they really need that aren't donated that often to food pantries are gluten-free, dairy-free, diapers, feminine products. So try to think about, if you were a struggling family, what you could give. um, And think about more than just like a can of food, which they definitely need, but try to think about some of those things that are like, out of our ordinary thing to think of with food drive. Um, So find those shopping carts on campus, and if you have any questions, ask these guys or your CPCs in the dorms. Thanks.
0: Thanks, Kelsey. Uh, Next up are Nadine and Audrey from BB with some prayer requests for Borbenning.
1: First, we'd like to ask that you pray for a uh, few of the members of our dorm have left Kelvin College for various different reasons, and we ask for guidance and support from them. Um, also for boldness in our faith and our relationships with each other inside and outside of Kelvin. And also praise that we have a great community so far at BB and that it will get stronger and for those that don't feel as welcome, that they feel welcomed and loved.
2: Um, We would also like to ask for your prayers for protection over our dorm. um, From, uh, what is the word for it? Demon powers evil spirits. Um, Just have God's power over our dorm. Um, And we'd also like to have your prayer for sickness and illnesses within our dorm and within the families um, of the residents among our dorm. Please pray for the respect of each other among our dorm, the males and females, as well as their respect for their own bodies. And lastly, we'd really like to appreciate your prayer for stress and time management within all of the academics. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Okay, now is the time where we take our offering. Uh, the offering goes to the Community Care Fund, and that is uh, a fund that we have here at Calvin College that, that helps uh, you students out if ever there is an issue, if there's a death in the family and someone needs to get home for, uh, for services, or if there's uh, illness or hospitalization where there's extra expenses that you didn't think uh, they, you weren't planning on. So that's what our offering goes to, and, and uh, we'll uh, take the offering now. One last announcement before prayer happens here. Uh, Today marks the beginning of our Unlearn Week here at Calvin College. For those of you who are in your first year and maybe don't know about Unlearn Week, this is the week where we really focus on unlearning some of the habits and patterns that we live that, uh, whether we realize it or not, continue uh, some some racist or or systemically unjust ways that that we inhabit our our world here. Uh, I'll say a little bit about our speaker in just a second. Um, but he'll be the uh, the initial uh, kickoff to our Unlearn Week, and I'd like to make that announcement out before I pray, because it's certainly something that we should be praying about uh, all the time, but particularly this week. So please go with me to our Lord in prayer. God, I thank you for a space where we can praise your name, where we can raise our hands, sing loud of voices as we are, are, are daring to do. Uh, sing praises, sing glory, sing things that honor who you are. Lord, we know that not every place in this world has that privilege and, and we were reminded of that with this day of prayer on Thursday where we, we lifted up the, the places that are really hurting in this world. and uh, Do that right now again, Lord. Think of all the, the wars that are happening in Algeria and Israel, Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan, Ukraine, certain that I'm missing some. There's, there's so many places of conflict, Lord, places where people cannot praise you, cannot say your name without fear of, of being turned in. And, and God, help our lives here in Grand Rapids, Michigan, relatively safe, somehow be part of what you are trying to do in this world and trying to usher in your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven, Lord. We pray this today. God, we pray that what happens uh, in the rest of this service, particularly in the preaching of the word, would be part of that work. And so we we ask ask that you would bless uh, Dr. Carl Ellis here as he brings us the word, Lord. I pray for each and every student and visitor who's here at the loft service that they would receive what he has to say and, and that it would touch some part of who they are such that that more light is shown in all of our hearts and that 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 light could then be carried out of here and we could shine it for others god i pray for the words that our students uh, asked us to pray for the the unlearn the access the food drive Uh, we do pray for those who are hurting in our own backyard we pray that calvin college can, can be part of the solution there, that these students can understand how they are positioned in this uh, community and, and act with, with the power of the Holy Spirit to help shine light in the community as well. God, for the prayer request from Fort Benning, we pray for those students who have left the community for whatever reason. Be with them. Stay close to them. May they know you in whatever space they are in right now. God, for boldness in the faith lives of the students of BB, and I'll extend that to everybody, every student at Calvin College. Give us conviction. Give us meaning when we proclaim that we are Christian. Lord, I pray for community to flourish in BB and beyond, for friendship to go deep for uh, care and and, uh, respect to be the rule. I pray that Satan would have no power in BB, no power in any of the other dorms, no power here in this space, no power in our classrooms, no power in KE, no power wherever any student of Calvin College lives. God, protect us from the attacks of the enemy. Pray for healing from sickness for students, for family members who may be sick. There are many students who are not here because of uh, illness or recovering from an injury, and I'm sure that's uh, even further the case for for family who who might be having issues right now. Please be with them, Lord. Be the divine physician. Pray for respect for each other, and I like that prayer request, for, for oneself. For one's body. Lord, help us to know that we are created in your image, that our bodies are temples devoted wholly to you. God, for stress that comes with learning how to manage life, when you've always had people helping you. Uh, students, I'm sure, are hitting the wall with homework, uh, understanding that they're on their own for, for most of, of, of life here, and sometimes it's a first for all of us most of our first-year students. And so we pray, Lord, that your grace would be part of, of their days, that your wisdom would be uh, upon them, and they would, they would know when it's time to go to sleep, when it's time to wake up, when it's time to exercise, when it's time to just unload uh, to a trusted friend, when it's time to hear from a friend uh, their their laments and their sorrows, and to, to, to form community in those ways, we pray. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I have the pleasure of introducing to you Reverend Dr. Carl Ellis. He comes to, to us from Chattanooga, Chattanooga, Tennessee, where he is the Associate Pastor for Cultural Apologetics at uh, is it New City Church, New City Fellowship in, in Chattanooga. He's also an adjunct professor at Redeemer Seminary in, in Dallas, as well as uh, Reformed Theological Seminary in Jackson, Mississippi, and I have the pleasure of of uh, meeting Dr. Ellis for the first time about 11 or 12 years ago or so when I, after graduating from Calvin, moved down to Jackson and worked at the John Perkins Center for Reconciliation and Development down there. And, and I remember a, a service where Dr. Ellis was, was preaching. Uh, it was at one of the colleges there in town and, and there was this big buzz that, hey, Dr. Reverend Dr. Ellis is here. Reverend Dr. Ellis is here. And I didn't know who he was, but I kept hearing it, and then I sort of joined in started telling other people, Reverend Dr. Ellis is here, Reverend Dr. Ellis is here. And, and I still remember uh, something he said there, it had nothing to do with the sermon. But uh, when, when the choir got up, this was a, a largely African American congregation who was hosting uh, the, the service, and I was part of the choir in that church, uh, something about how good we were singing, I guess, really spoke to Dr. Ellis, and at one point he just yelled out, let's have church! And for whatever reason, you know, this is a reformed kid coming from Grand Rapids, Michigan, who was starting to get comfortable with, like, hallelujah. Uh, but but hearing, hearing this guy just belt out, let's have church, uh, stuck with me. And, and I, I think we might even do a series in, in sometime called Let's Have Church because of something you said 12 years ago that, that stuck with me. But I, I think it's a great way to go into a service. I'm, i I like baseball, and you know the, the let's play ball kind of idea. Like the, we're here to do something. We're here to get get excited. So I, uh, I invite you to welcome Reverend Dr. Ellis to to to, let's, to bring church to us.
3: All right. Thank you. Amen. Let the church say amen. All right, Oh, I'm Reformed, too, by the way, you know. Amen. <laughs> hey, I'm one of those funny guys. Uh, I, I, I became Reformed by reading the Bible. Uh, I, used be, uh, I used to be a hardcore, dispensational, pre-mill, pre-trib, King James-only, Paul's letters-only kind of guy, you know. And uh, the only reason I was there is because that, those are the kind of people who wrote books for brand-new Christians like myself, you know. And then, uh, but praise the God, praise God! I just I, I ran into a real dilemma back uh, when I was in college, and uh, there was a great, you know, you can see, you can tell by my gray hair, I'm a baby bummer, and you know what students were doing back in my day, and uh, so I, Paul didn't help me too much, so I had to read the rest of the Bible, <laughs> and then I discovered a whole lot of stuff. And uh, I actually became Reformed by reading the Bible. I didn't know I was Reformed until I got to Westminster. So, uh, so you know, it's, it's, been a, it's been a great journey. Uh, I, I want you to think about some things. Since we're talking about unlearning things, um, <clears throat> I'm going to set this up this way. Uh, Christianity in America, in the West, has enjoyed the perks of what I call the dominant culture. You well. Know, you know, in our society, societies that are multicultural, there's a dominant culture and there's at least one subdominant culture. And the thing is, the system of that society, whether it be political, economic, social, or whatever, always delivers its best to the dominant culture. And Christianity has enjoyed the perks of the dominant culture for many years in the West, especially in America. That day has come to an end. Uh, this country and this, and the Western world has formally divorced theism, as it were, as the basis for its value systems, and we're adrift. And, and, and so therefore all of us who name the name of Christ are, are going to be subdominant. So one of the things we need to learn, unlearn today is to stop thinking like we're in the dominant culture because we are no longer there. And among the things that, uh, if you're in the subdominant culture, what happens is that the dominant culture always judges you, not by the best of you, but by the worst of you. I've heard things, you know, people talk about Islamic radicalism, and then they say, well, it, it, Christian radicals are just as bad. That's just a bunch of... Oh, I had two words in mind, which I will not say at this point, but, <laughs> but they're well-rooted in American agriculture, if you catch my drift. <laughs> 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 oh, hallelujah. Okay, praise the Lord. Okay. So anyway, so with that in mind, I, I, I want to in the, in, the, in the next few decades, we, and I used to say in about 50 years we'll be under persecution. I think we'll be under persecution within our lifetimes. What's going on over in Iraq and other places, we're looking at our future. And we're going to be under a lot of stress. And so I chose tonight to share with you some thoughts from Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, and the subject would be a faith where it counts, a faith where it counts. I wouldn't read the passage, but I'm going to read the whole passage in the message anyway, so let's get started. Um, do you ever get tired of the injustices that surround you? Um, you know, you know and, and, and we're starting to see this more and more. I right? It's, I'm doing some work with InterVarsity and I, I know in California InterVarsity is being thrown off campuses because of their requirement that their leaders be Christians. On and on and on. But if you get tired of that then welcome to the club. So uh, Habakkuk was one of us. Habakkuk went through some of the stresses that we go through sometimes and that we will go through. He was exposed to many tribulations and uh, and the thing about Habakkuk, you know, that. Commentaries say that he was a prophet of the 7th and 6th centuries B.C., but he wasn't just that. He was what I would call an urban pastoral prophet of the 7th and 6th centuries B.C. And unlike other prophets who spoke for God to his people, Habakkuk spoke to God about his people. So it's kind of a reverse situation. And as an urban pastoral prophet, his heart was broken over the decay that he saw in righteousness and religion. Yet Habakkuk looked to the Lord for help in his time of trouble. And why did he do this? Because he had a faith where it counts. His questions to the Lord included the urgent request for uh, uh, in well, an urgent description of need, let's put it that way, and a sustained appeal for deliverance. Uh, He was a man who struggled with two opposite principles here, justice and evil. Not only had lawlessness and violence run amok in Israel, but lawlessness and violence had taken over the very institutions that were ordained by God to keep them in check. It's kind of like The police force being taken over by the mafia. This should sound familiar because it's happening more and more in in societies around the world, and especially ours. It's happening in the church. there are churches that I know, there are seminaries that I know where every heresy is welcome except for orthodoxy. (laughs) It was clear to Habakkuk that only God's special intervention could correct the situation. But God's intervention had not come yet. And Habakkuk and all who prayed for restoration and the restoration of justice were stretched, their faith was stretched to the limit. They were at their wit's end. And sooner or later, when you graduate from this place, you'll be in situations that will stretch you to the limit like that. You will face dilemmas, you will face Uh, all kinds of stresses that you never even thought were possible. Habakkuk was personally confronted with the corruption he described. The scripture says it was before him. He was forced to look at it. Not only were the evildoers close by but they had the faithful folks where they wanted them pinned down and hemmed in and the tragedy was these enemies of God were not uncircumcised pagans. They were circumcised fellow Jews. In other words, today it would be, they, would be, they would be people who would claim to be Bible-believing, fundamental, evangelical, orthodox, reformed Christians who had them hemmed down. That's one of the things we're going to notice. Sir, There are going to be people who claim to be Christians who will not be so let's get into it. Verse, verse, uh, verse 2, it says, How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry to you, violence, but you do not save? Have you ever cried out to God for deliverance in a crisis situation like this? Then like backup, it's natural to ask the question, how long? I've been in situations like that. Sometimes I ask, how long, God? Why, God? And I'm going through all kinds of things, and I'm wondering, what's the purpose of it all? It is understandable to think that the Lord is not listening. And and sometimes it's not that we don't think he can hear. It's just that we think that he is not actively responding to our plea. And when we don't see God's immediate response, then we call our faith into question. And ultimately, we even call the righteousness of God into question. And that's kind of what Habakkuk is doing here. How long must I look at this? And, 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 and you're not even noticing, God. The crisis that had Habakkuk so upset was violence. The leaders of Israel were guilty of flagrant violations of ethical principles. And this led to the breakdown of society in general and physical brutality in particular the response that Habakkuk so desperately cried out for was salvation. Not only salvation in a spiritual sense, but he was calling for deliverance from oppression because he and others were being oppressed by the very people that God had raised up to serve him. Habakkuk's dialogue with God is full of tension, the tension of unanswered prayer. You ever get into that situation, you check with Habakkuk. You see, Habakkuk had to unlearn some things, some assumptions that he had. And it is typical for a saint who is concerned about injustice because it surrounds you, corruption surrounds us. But God assured Habakkuk that he was on top of the situation and that, that he had already. Arranged to vindicate his name. Now think about this. What counts here the most? Is it my feelings? Is it my cred? My reputation? Those are important. But the thing that counts the most here is God's name. You think about it. If you belong to God today, if you are in Christ today, then he has put placed his name on you, and he will not allow his name to be defamed forever. He will rescue you, he will save you, he will deliver you for his name's sake. Today in the Western world we think of a name as a label sometimes, but it's more than that. So he was on top of the situation. And no matter what your situation may be, it could be injustice and violence in general. It could be injustice and violence done to you personally. But whatever it is, rest assured that God is and will be on top of your situation and that God has already arranged to vindicate his name. Verse 3. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict uh, abounds. Have you ever cried out to God for deliverance in a situation like this? Then it is typical to ask the question, why? It is understandable to think that the Lord tolerates evil But with a faith where it counts, we will know that it is not true. It just looks that way. Things don't always things aren't always what they appear. You see, our sight is not complete. Eyesight is inadequate but God calls us to his faith sight. In Habakkuk's day, evil took the form of injustice and wrong, destruction and violence, strife and conflict. That is, justice had been perverted, the community had degenerated into social oppression, minority members of Israel were viciously taken advantage of, And the people have become stubborn and rigid and legalistic and therefore even more sinful. And anger and dissensions were the result. Verse 4. Therefore the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. You see, the law was given by God as a covenantal code to reveal his will and to, to, and to direct the lives of his people. But the law was paralyzed by the corruption of Israel's religious leaders and Israel's political leaders. And justice was to be an aspect of covenant righteousness. Now, righteousness is a relational term. It's a relational term. Uh, and, it, and it, it, it has several uh, manifestations, but I'm going to talk about two tonight. Two of the several expressions of righteousness are, number one, piety. We are, we're all familiar with that. We say our grace and all that, you know, go to church, so forth and so on. But, the, but another important manifestation of righteousness is justice. Now, piety involves doing right by God, in a in a in a in a in a strict sense now remember righteousness is a relational term it means doing right by the other party in the covenant relationship doing right by the other party in the covenant relationship well what's right what's wrong right is that which conforms to god's character obviously but piety involves doing right by god in a narrow sense and justice involves doing right by people now i know if you do right by people, you're also doing right by God. I understand that. But I'm going to narrow it down here. Now, for the victims of injustice and oppression, righteousness, uh, uh, or let's put it this way, justice has two applications. First is liberation, and then empowerment. That's biblical. In Leviticus, chapter 25, verse 10, you see the Jubilee, the, the jubilee Principle. Consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land, there's your liber- liberation. And then it says, each of you is to return to his family property to his own clan. You know how that thing worked. It's the year of Jubilee. You can buy and sell the land and everything, but every 50 years the land returns to the original owners as God had parceled it out to them when they conquered the land of Canaan. So in that situation then, there will be no prominent underclass in the society. And we know that Israel never carried that out. Isaiah 61, verses one through two, you see echoes of the Jubilee Principle. And you see, here's, the, here's what Jesus quoted at his first sermon. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives and the release of, uh, from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of, his, of the vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. In Habakkuk's time, Israel had rejected law and justice. Law and justice were what God gave them to bring them together, but because of, liber- of, 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 of Israel's rejection, their community had fallen apart. And as a result, Injustice and oppression were the order of the day. Sound familiar? But with a faith where it counts, we would know that things will not always be that way. So Habakkuk is crying out to God, Why God? How long, God? And then Habakkuk answers, I mean, God answers here in verses 5 through 7. Here's God's answer. Look at the nations and watch, and be utterly amazed. For I am doing something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. If the situation in Israel was unbelievable, then the outcome would be incomprehensible. It would actually radically challenge all their expectations. You see, Israel had this one problem. They thought they were the the only people that God could use. They had to unlearn that. (laughs) And therefore God commanded Habakkuk to look and be utterly amazed. God then gives the description of the people who are going to be his instruments of judgment. The people who would conquer them. Verses 6 and 7, I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people, and they are a lawn to themselves, and they promote their own honor. In essence, these people consider themselves to be self-sufficient, and the Babylonians then did not even acknowledge any superior authority over them. You remember remember Nebuchadnezzar? Yeah, he thought he was bad. Remember? I got these kids from Canaan and uh, from Israel. He's going to send them to the University of Babylon on full scholarship because they were token Jews oh, uh, you Ubab, right? Ubab. You, you know. And uh, <laughs> And uh, some remarkable things happen. By the time you get to chapter 4, old Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. and He shook up about it. And Daniel takes the time and says, Look, your reign is spoiled by injustice and corruption. You're responsible to God. He, he, he thought about it. After about a year, he said, Oh, God ain't going to do nothing. This is my kingdom that I built. <laughs> and you know what happened, right? <clears throat> God knocked him down a few pegs. But he came out of it, though. He was all right when he came came to, right? Remember that? All right. But you see, God was using a people that didn't even claim to be his people in his purposes on earth. The Babylonians were the secular humanists of Habakkuk's day. And though the Babylonians would be God's instrument of judgment against Israel, they also would be subject to God's judgment. The fact that God would use them did not diminish their guilt. What were they guilty of? Ruthlessness, arrogance, refusing to acknowledge to be accountable to God, refusing to be to, to repent, violation of the most fundamental principles of decency, seeing their strength as their own God. Imagine, imagine the kind of peer pressure that Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were under in Babylon. You still worshiping that old wimp of a God? You claim to be God? I mean, look, we destroyed his temple. We ripped him off. He couldn't do anything. Well, so let me kind of wrap all this up. Are you tired of the evil doing that you see? And one of these days you will be. If you're not, now you will be. Listen to the words of David in Psalm 37. Do not fret because of evil men, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither, Like the green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord and trust him and he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn and the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. With a faith where it counts, you will see things in perspective. That's the whole point. You've got to see things in perspective. You see, when you see through your faith, you begin to see things the way God sees them. And one of the things that I've learned over the years is I've learned not to worry. Ultimately, I can't control my circumstances anyway, can I? But God's on the throne. Anger, resentment, jealousy, things like that will destroy your faith in God's righteousness and justice. But with a faith where it counts, you won't be destroyed by those emotions. Yes, you will be angry. Yes, you will be envious. But if you have a faith where it counts, it will not destroy you. Trusting the Lord means faith. On the one hand, a faith where it counts must be expressed in an act of obedience and reliance upon the Lord. And on the other, it must be expressed in a confident expectation of God's justice and vindication. God is going to vindicate his name. And if you have his name, you will be vindicated. Whatever you are going through or whatever, whatever. faith where it counts is key with the faith where it counts you will find joy not worry, peace not frustration you will delight in the Lord rather than resent the evil doers you will see and enjoy God's grace regardless of your situation I have an old saying everything short of hell is grace I may be homeless tomorrow, but God's still faithful. Whatever. Remember, evil is only temporary. And those who do evil will fade away. But righteousness is permanent. And those who do righteousness will endure forever. Evildoers will never be satisfied. But the righteous will have the desires of their hearts. Are you angry with evildoers? Resentful of evildoers? Jealous of evildoers? That's, that's understandable. Don't just try to leave these emotions alone. Commit them to the Lord like Habakkuk did. As a matter of fact, while you're at that, you just might as well go on and commit your whole self to the Lord. No matter how things may look to you now, the Lord is still righteous and just. The Lord does not tolerate evil, nor does he ignore the pleas of his kids. The Lord will rule the universe in righteousness and justice. I've been in situations that have been so stressful that I actually lost the will to live. I got so depressed. If a mosquito bit me, I would have died. But I came out of it. And I look back on that and I think, oh, I see. I get it. I learned some good stuff. If you were to talk to Job today and ask him, Would you go through knowing what you know now, would you go through that? He said, You bet your bibby, I would. That's an old expression out of the sixties. All right. Don't be intimidated by the wicked, because God isn't. Verse 13 of Psalm 37. But the Lord laughs at the wicked. He knows their day is coming. Remember, you who, you, just just remember the advantages that you you have in Christ. Uh, Verse 16 through 18 of Psalm 37. Better the little that the righteous have than the wealth of the wicked. For the power of the wicked will be broken but the Lord upholds the righteous. The days of the blameless are known to the Lord and their inheritance will endure, how long? Forever. You see, this righteousness I talk about, I'm not talking about works righteousness because we have none, do we? But I'm talking about faith righteousness. The faith where it counts is a faith in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And a faith in the righteous, in right, in righteousness of Jesus Christ. With that, you will not have to worry about things. Verse 25, Psalm 37. David gives an incredible yet testimony. And it's true. Now that I've gotten a few gray hairs, I can join David on this. Because I know what he's talking about. yet testimony. I was young and now I'm old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. So how does Habakkuk come out on on all of this? After this wrestling with unanswered prayer and stress and strain and, and depression He finally comes to see it the way God sees it. You see, here's our problem. You know anything about accounting? You've got a ledger sheet. You've got the, 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 the credit side and the debit side. All we see is the debit side. We don't see the credit side yet. One of these days, God will show you the credit side, and you will realize we're in the black, not in the red. And Habakkuk comes around to see see this, and he realizes that God is faithful no matter what. And so at the end of his book, in chapter three, verses 17 through 19, he says something remarkable, an incredible yet testimony. He says, though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the, the fields produce no food, Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. Now, that's a bad situation, isn't it? But what does he say? Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer and enables me to run, to go to the heights. Yeah, things are messed up. Things are going to be more messed up. Persecution's coming. The foundations of persecution are here. We have to learn how to navigate, together, we've got to learn how to navigate the waters of a subdominant, oppressed, despised, and rejected culture. You name the name of Christ. It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you dearly. Are you ready for that? I tell you, you can be ready for it with a faith where it counts. Not this fluffy stuff, but a faith where it counts. Knowing that God is still on the throne, he's still righteous, and he will vindicate his name. And when it's all over, You'll look back and say, hey, if I had it to do over again, I'd do it gladly. Because you see it from the other side. Faith sight, not eyesight. Faith sight is a faith where it counts. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, so much for your word, for your encouragement, for being our strength, Thank you for the fact that you see things from the ultimate perspective. And if you're not worried, then teach us to be like you and not worry. Worry is such a wasteful emotion. We just ask you, Lord, to make us, your people, in a whole new way. And help it spill over to others that we know. For we ask it in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen.